Imagine 95 senators trying to out-talk Huey Long. They can't even get him warmed up. Will Rogers on the Louisiana governor and senator Huey Long. We're going to do a two-parter. The first part on the famous governor and senator and some would say dictator and boss man of Louisiana, Huey P. Long. And secondly, we're going to talk about the 1945 college football national championship recently claimed by Oklahoma State, who at the time was Oklahoma A&M. So sit back and relax and let's enjoy the show. everybody uh thanks for joining us on this monday i hope everybody's had a great weekend i hope again everybody's gonna have a great week i'm will milam and this is the america of america podcast i want to start this week with a little bit of house cleaning or housekeeping uh it came to my attention from one of my aunts thankfully who uh listens to this show and listens very carefully that in the episode about the battle of claremore mound and the Oklahoma State poem, Howdy Folks, I made a reference to Rogers County, Oklahoma, and I made the claim that Rogers County, Oklahoma was named after Will Rogers. That is not quite true, and again, I'm appreciative to my aunt for pointing that out. Uh, Rogers County, Oklahoma is actually named after Clem Rogers, who's Will Rogers' father. So Rogers County, Oklahoma is named after Clem Rogers, not Will Rogers. So again, if anybody has any corrections or any comments to uh, specific claims that I make, feel free to email me at chautauquareview.gmail.com. That's chautauquareview at gmail. Uh, The spelling should be in the show notes. Um, And with that, let's get into the show. You might be curious and you would be rightfully curious uh, why I was talking about Huey Long in the intro because... Huey Long's not an Oklahoma politician. Huey Long, um, well, we'll get into his relationship to Oklahoma, but you know, is definitely not what you think of when you think of Oklahoma. Huey Long is definitively Louisiana, and he's definitively, uh, you know, the face of Shreveport for that early 20th century political scene. So why are we going to talk about him on this podcast? And the answer to that question is because I just got back from a weekend trip to Baton Rouge, where I was at uh, one of my very good friends from college's wedding, and the reception party, not the wedding reception, but the reception party for the rehearsal dinner was at the old governor's mansion in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, which was... And interestingly enough, the old governor's mansion where this party took place was not actually the first... Uh, governor's mansion of Louisiana. The old governor's mansion was built in 1930 by Huey Long when he was governor because the old mansion, the Knox mansion, which was the previous governor's mansion for the state of Louisiana, served to him as a symbol of opposition and the old ways. And Huey Long wanted to build something new. And so he built this very, very cool governor's mansion that seemed to me to be uh, replica of the White House, and I think that that's kind of the general story. I know that there's some uh, there's some opposition to that claim, but it really does seem like the White House in Baton Rouge. But anyway, I digress. So we get to Baton Rouge on Friday night. Uh, there was a beautiful party at the old governor's mansion. They set up a, uh, a bourbon bar 
in the what was the library when it was the governor's mansion. So um, probably one too many glasses of bourbon uh, led um, some of my friends and I to go on a search for the ghost of Huey Long. And though that search was unsuccessful, we did see the shadow of Huey Long all over Baton Rouge. First of all, the first governor's mansion, referred to as the Knox Mansion, doesn't exist anymore. And it doesn't exist anymore because Huey Long wanted to get rid of it. And in doing so, he tore down and built what's now called the old governor's mansion, where that party took place. And it's a beautiful recreation, what it looks like, of the White House. Secondly, a very short walk from that old governor's mansion is the old Louisiana State Capitol, which is really a beautiful almost French castle. It looks to me somewhere between kind of a French, Spanish, and Italianate castle uh, that served as the, uh, the capital of Louisiana for a long time. And if you walk just a bit down the road, you'll come to the new Louisiana state capital, which is very almost like capital or American architecture, but it's also the tallest state capital. It's, a, it's kind of a, a stone skyscraper. And it's starkly contrasted with the old Louisiana state capitol, which Huey Long thought was a symbol of the old elite. And Huey Long was going to build this new state capitol, which was a vision of a more egalitarian, a more populist uh, Louisiana politics and Louisiana government. So it took exactly, you know, 20 minutes of being in the old Louisiana governor's mansion and walking the streets of downtown Baton Rouge for me to make the decision, I need to figure out a way to work Huey Long into today's episode. And you know what? You might not think it, but Huey Long actually does have some relevance to Oklahoma history. And let's get into that. Huey Long was born in 1893 in north central Louisiana in a town called Winfield. Now, Winfield was known socially for two things. One being uh, one of the only areas of Louisiana to express unionism when Louisiana was discussing secession in the American Civil War or the events leading up to the American Civil War. But they were also known for a certain amount of political radicalism. In the 1912 election, uh, the socialist candidate Eugene V. Debs actually won a plurality of thir- at 35% of the vote uh, of the presidential votes in that area. Huey Long at this time, or right before about 1912, was a high school student and proved himself to be a very capable debater. So capable, in fact, that he won a full tuition scholarship to Louisiana State University in Baton Rouge, except Huey Long didn't have the money to pay for the living expenses or the textbooks, so he decided to become a traveling salesman instead. But in 1911, his mother convinced him to go to Oklahoma Baptist University, where she hoped he would become a preacher. Oklahoma Baptist University was brand new at the time, being founded in 1910, so literally a year before Huey Long attended. And though Huey Long didn't stay there very long, Oklahoma Baptist University is still there and has long outlived him. And at Oklahoma Baptist University, there are some actually very important figures for Oklahoma history and culture. Consider right now Dr. Benjamin Myers, who's a professor of English at Oklahoma Baptist University and was the state laureate, poet state laureate, excuse me, of Oklahoma in 2015 and 2016. And we'll get to Dr. Benjamin Myers in future episodes. So moving back to Long, Long did not last very long at 
Oklahoma Baptist University and soon decided that he wasn't really suited to Baptist preaching at all, and he decided that he wanted to become a lawyer. So Huey Long packed up and decided to go to the University of Oklahoma College of Law, and he borrowed $100 from his brother in order to go attend those classes. But when he got to Norman, or the Norman, Oklahoma City metro area, Huey Long probably found himself in Hell's Half Acre. And if you remember from last week's episode, Hell's Half Acre was that portion of downtown Oklahoma that was run for a long time by Big Ann Wynn, which featured houses of the rising sun, gambling, and saloons. Huey Long borrowed $100 from his brother in order to pay for law school, and Huey Long took that money, went straight to the gambling houses in Oklahoma City, and lost that $100 on roulette. And that was the end of Huey Long's law career or law career slash seminary career in Oklahoma. Oklahoma had completely defeated Huey Long, but that's obviously only the beginning of Huey Long's story because several years later, he would go finish up those law classes at Tulane University in New Orleans before passing the Louisiana bar. So we have to step back and get this New Orleans could not defeat Huey Long, but Oklahoma could. And then Huey Long went on to become the most popular and, well, the most successful populist politician in the early part of the American 20th century and uh, seek to establish himself as one of the most powerful individuals in Louisiana, one of the most um, obviously controversial um, people in Louisiana, got himself impeached, uh, bought off senators to get himself not convicted of impeachment, Uh, and eventually was uh, assassinated by the sons of one of his political rivals and basically has made himself the most enduring political legacy in many, really any state in the American, uh, any state in America. Love him or hate him, um, have sympathy for him or not, Huey Long is one of the most interesting political figures of that early American 20th century. And he went to college in Oklahoma for a while. And that's where we're going to leave Governor Long for today's episode. We're going to switch gears now and talk about uh, what I promised last week, the 1945 College Football National Championship, and why awarding national championships for the 1940s is obviously a bit more difficult for awarding national championships in 2021. Nowadays, we have the college football playoff system, and even before the college football playoffs, we had the bowl systems. That did a good job of determining uh, the top 10 to top 25 teams in college football and was a, did a very good job of crowning national champions. In the 1940s, that really wasn't true. Though there were bowls, there were, it was a little bit harder to determine national champions. It was a little bit harder to get the number one and number two teams to play. Uh, and it was a little bit harder to determine who had uh, powerful conferences versus easier conferences. Those those things that we attribute to college football ranking systems are more recent creations and therefore determining national championships from that long ago is a bit more uh, ambiguous. So, well, in 2016, the American Football Coaches Association, the AFCA, is the organization that's responsible for the coaches poll. If you know anything about college football in the United States, Before the college football rankings come out about midway through the season, the two major polls for determining um, team rankings are the coaches poll and the Associated Press poll. So this is a major 
Um, this is a major organization for matters of college football. So in 2016, the AFCA put out uh, basically, you know, put out a fishing question to a lot of the um, major schools in the United States, asking to submit their opinions for who had actually won that 1945 national championship. And from then until the recording of this podcast, the only school that claimed that 1945 national championship through the AFCA was Oklahoma State University. At the time, would have been known as Oklahoma A&M University. And on that basis, um, they became national champions. And it's also important to note here that this isn't, you know, one organization saying that Oklahoma State uh, is the national champion because the AFCA is the recognized body for awarding football national championships from the year 1922 to 1949. So if the AFCA awards a school a national championship, they are the national champions for that season. There is no real debate there. And to be completely honest, Oklahoma State has a really good argument for winning the national championship that season. Their average margin of victory was 23.2 points, They had the fewest points allowed, and they had the lowest average points allowed, the fewest first downs allowed, the fewest rushing yards allowed, and just the fewest yards allowed in the history of Oklahoma State football. Further, they went 9-0 and crushed a lot of their competition. The one ranked team that they played was Tulsa, the University of Tulsa, and they beat them 12-6. They went on to play Oklahoma in Norman and beat Oklahoma 47-0. So why is this controversial? Why why is it such a controversy that Oklahoma State is claiming this national championship? And that, my friends, is because there is another team who might have had one of the greatest seasons of all time. And that was the West Point Army football team of 1945. At the tail end of World War II, the United States Military Academy in West Point had put together one of the great college football teams of all time. In fact, when ESPN was putting together the greatest college football teams for any particular year of all time, that 1945 Army team finished number four. This Army team went on to beat the number two ranked Notre Dame football team 48-0. Then again would play the next number ranked football team, Navy, and beat them 32-13. So in the end, Army played five ranked teams in only nine games, and four of those five ranked teams were in the top five, or excuse me, the top 10 in the country, and they outscored their opponents 412 to 46. So why didn't Army claim this national championship? Because by all accounts, Army had one of the greatest football teams of all time, not just one of the greatest football teams of 1945. And from our research, it really appears that Army just hasn't filed the paperwork to claim this national championship, and therefore there's no one to argue with with Oklahoma State. So we're left with this weird ambiguity where Army had one of the greatest teams of all time but never filed the paperwork. Oklahoma State, to their credit, filed the paperwork and also had what is all accounts the greatest Oklahoma State, State, well at the time Oklahoma A&M, football team that has ever existed. So... Does there deserve to be an asterisk for Oklahoma State's controversial 1945 national championship claim? In a way, yes. In a way, no. 
it's very difficult to argue that that Army football team was not the best football team in the country at the time, but this gets into comparisons that are very similar, in my opinion, to tennis when we argue about who the greatest tennis player is of all time. The metric that we generally use is a metric like the most grand slams. So at the time of this recording, Roger Federer has the most grand slams, but um, that he might be caught up, uh, you know, within a year by Novak Djokovic. But that metric, though good, is not always, you know, perfect because we have to come into questions like Rob Laver, the famous Australian tennis player in the 60s and 70s, who wasn't able to play for a number of years in the Grand Slams because he went pro. And we have to ask ourselves, well, what if Rod Laver was able to play in those Grand Slams? So it creates this calculus that is very difficult to determine who's the best. So that might be the case that we have here, but also, what if Army just claimed the national championship? What if Army just filed the paperwork for the AFCA and we actually had to determine who was the better team that year? I don't know. Army hasn't does it. Army hasn't done it. Maybe one day they will and we'll have a definitive answer to the question. But until then, Oklahoma State is the 1945 college football national champion. And that's where I'm going to leave the debate today. There are many other people who are probably more knowledgeable on the subject than me or have a lot more, well, a lot stronger opinions on the subject than me. And if you are one of those people, feel free to shoot me an email. I think this is a really interesting topic and I'd really like to talk about it more. And with that, that comes to the end of this episode of the America of America podcast. As always, if you have questions, comments, concerns, or ideas for a show, uh, please feel able to email me at chautauquareview.com. Again, the uh, spelling is in the show notes. And I would like to give a special thank you to my good friend, Joseph DeWorlicotti, for helping me out with the research for today's topics. And I look forward to seeing everybody next week for another edition of the America of America podcast. But until then, everybody have a nice week. And as always, I'm Will Milam. Thanks for listening.